Really good job, guys. My name is Ryan Johnson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Cornerstone, and I am very grateful for the opportunity to open God's Word with all of you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is a very famous passage. This is the passage about Mary and Martha. And I think that this passage is usually applied to say that we should slow down, that we should do less, that we should rest more. Um, Or this passage is applied to say that we should prioritize our relationships with Jesus more, that we should sit at his feet and learn from him. And uh, quite frankly, I don't think either of those are bad messages. Uh, If we're doing too much, we should probably slow down and do a little less. Uh, If, um, well, we should definitely prioritize our relationship with Jesus. But neither of those messages are exactly the message I want to share with you today. As I've been studying this passage, I've realized it speaks to me at a deeper level than that. So I'm calling this sermon A Tale of Two Women. This is a story about two women, both of whom are Christians, but only one of whom in this moment, during this story, is finding Jesus to be really satisfying. Today we're going to see the difference it makes in our lives when we find real, lasting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and read Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Lord, I pray that even now, as we hear your word, or as we preach it, that we would rest in you, and that we would find real, lasting satisfaction in you, that we would rest not in our own performance, but that we would rest in your performance for us. Lord, speak to us now, encourage us now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how do you feel before your performance review at work? Do you feel nervous? Uh, Maybe you feel confident. How do you feel if your performance review goes well? Maybe you feel encouraged. Maybe you feel motivated. How do you feel if your performance review does not go well? You feel discouraged. You feel hurt, angry, even scared. Or if you are in school, how do you feel right before a big test? How do you feel if you get a good grade? How do you feel if you don't get a good grade? To some extent, I think that all of us are looking for satisfaction in our performance. And it is easy to see what that looks like at uh, work or at school. When we feel like we're performing well, we feel good about ourselves. 
when we don't feel like we're performing as well, we don't feel as good about ourselves. But I think that this pattern carries over into other areas of life, too. So how do you feel right before a bunch of people show up at your house? Uh, if you're anything like the Johnsons, you uh, race around um, trying to act like it's more clean than, uh, you know, trying to look like it's always clean. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you feel about your parenting? How do you feel when you see your, your, your kids making good decisions, doing well in school, doing well in their activities and sports? How do you feel when you see them making bad decisions or not doing as well? If you want to see where you're looking for satisfaction in your performance, just look at what you post on social media. I think we post pictures of our clean, beautifully decorated houses. We post pictures of promotion ceremonies. We post pictures of our happy families having fun together. We post pictures of our kids' accomplishments. You might not be big on social media. I'm not myself. But you can still ask yourself, what do you feel quietly proud of? Maybe you are doing well at work, and you know it. Maybe you are doing well financially, and you know it. Maybe your health and fitness is going well, and you know it. Or if you're looking, or if you wanted to know where you're looking for satisfaction in your performance, just look at the things that you don't post on social media. What kinds of things in your life embarrass you? What areas of your life do you not want to broadcast to the world? Where are you particularly sensitive to criticism or um, unsought-out advice? I think all of us are looking for satisfaction in our performance. And at, le at one level, I actually don't think that's bad. The book of Proverbs in the Bible tells us that it is wise to do all that we can um, to, do, to do our best with all that God has given us to do. Um, but I think it goes bad when we start looking to our performance to satisfy us in ways it was never meant to. I think it goes bad when we start looking to our performance to answer questions like, am I okay? Do I matter? Am I valuable? Am I acceptable? If we do that, we may look at our performance and we may feel satisfied. We may think, of course I'm okay. I am crushing it at work. Of course, I'm acceptable. Just look at how my kids turned out. Or we may look at our performance and not feel satisfied. We may say, well, I don't really know if I'm valuable. I don't know if my spouse values me. I don't know if I matter. I'm not all that attractive. I think that we are looking to our performance to satisfy us in ways that it was never meant to. And I think that that is a bad idea because it is a treadmill. If you only feel satisfied when you're performing well in life, then you have to keep performing well in life in order to stay satisfied. I also think it's a bad idea because it is just castles in the air. We look for satisfaction in our jobs. As long as everything is going well at work, we're good. If things are not going as well at work, that's okay. We have other castles. We have other potential sources of satisfaction. We say, okay, things are not going that well at work, but at least I have my family. Uh, maybe things are not going that well in our families. That's okay. I have other castles. At least I'm doing well financially. At least we have our friends. At least we have our health. 
at least we have our hobbies. At least we have a vacation coming up. At the very least, at least we have entertainment. We can escape into entertainment. I think we keep shifting the source of our satisfaction internally, and we have so many castles, we have so many potential sources of satisfaction that we never run out. And so we always feel satisfied in our performance. But we never stop to think that they're all just castles in the air. None of them has any foundation. Any one of them could be lost. Jobs can be lost. Marriages can fall apart. Families become distant. We never think that at any time, any one of these things where we're looking for satisfaction could fall apart. We need a secure source of satisfaction that is not dependent on our own performance. And I think that that is what this passage is about. This passage shows us that we can have real, lasting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. In this passage, Mary has chosen to just be with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to listen as he teaches. And in verse 42, Jesus says that this is the good portion. And the word portion is important. It comes from the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 142, verse 5, David says, I cry to the Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He's saying, as long as I'm living, as long as I'm alive, you are my portion. You are where I find satisfaction. Though everything else in my life would fall apart, I still have satisfaction in you alone. Or Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying, I could die. My flesh, my heart, they could fail, and I would still have you, my portion. I would still be satisfied in you. I would still be with you, enjoying your presence forever. This God became man, and Mary sat at his feet. She was with him. She knew him. She talked to him. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary found satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And satisfaction in Jesus Christ is not a castle in the air. Satisfaction in Christ is secure. It has a foundation. It is unshakable forever. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He's saying, I'm not going to send her to the kitchen. But he's also saying, um, satisfaction in me will never be taken away from you, ever. We need to find real, lasting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. In today's passage, Mary and Martha both know Jesus very well. He has been to their home many times. So uh, Luke 9.58, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying there's a cost to discipleship. But he's also saying, I don't have a house. <laughs> um, Jesus didn't have a house. But uh, Mary and Martha lived about two miles from Jerusalem, and so Jesus went there frequently. Also, John 11.3, Mary and Martha came to Jesus, and they said, He whom you love is ill. And Jesus knew, well, the one I love, my friend, Lazarus. They knew who he was talking about. So we know that Mary and Martha 
both know Jesus very well. Mary and Martha are both Christians. Uh, We see Mary listening to Jesus' teaching in this passage. Uh, We can also go back to John 11, 27, where Martha says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. So Mary and Martha both know Jesus very well, and they're both Christians. But in this story, in this moment, one of them is finding satisfaction in Jesus Christ, and the other is not. So we're going to start with Martha, and we're going to see that looking for satisfaction in performance brings problems. What Martha is doing in this passage makes sense. So this passage only mentions Mary, Martha, and Jesus, but we know that there are more people than that because in verse 38 it mentions they. If we go back to verse 1 of this chapter, we see that Jesus was traveling with at least 72 other men. Uh, Jesus um, is also very famous, so there may have been other people traveling with him as well. When we include women and children, I think that Jesus may have showed up at Mary and Martha's house with somewhere between 100 and 200 people. So how would you feel if today you go back to your home and then... 100 to 200 people show up at your doorstep looking for a meal, and one of them is famous. You would probably think about turning them away. I don't know, would you? You Say, there's a good restaurant right over there. (laughs) But that is impossible in this culture. This is a Middle Eastern culture that values hospitality very highly. So if you decide, wow, it is up to me to feed 100 to 200 people, you are going to have to get to work. Uh, You are going to have to send someone to the grocery store, or you are going to have to uh, get a lot of takeout. Uh, You're going to have to also just tell everyone where to go. Uh, You know, you 30 people go here, you 30 people go here, the basement is dirty, sorry about that. Uh, You can go to the back deck, I've got my front yard, I guess. Um, So you are going to have to get to work, and that is where Martha found herself. Uh, She probably had to make bread. She probably had to have some animals slaughtered and prepared and cooked. She probably had to go to the well or have someone go to the well a lot of times. That's a lot of water for a lot of people. Martha is doing a good thing. She is extending hospitality, and God commands us to be hospitable. Romans 12, 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Martha is lovingly opening up her home. She is working hard. She is sacrificially serving a great many people, including Jesus Christ himself. But in the midst of it all, something goes wrong inside of Martha. In verse 41, Jesus said that she became anxious. Why would she become anxious? I think there are basically two possibilities which really end up being the same thing. One, she became anxious anxious because she was worried about letting everyone down. This is a lot of people. That's a lot of food to prepare. This is a big task. Uh, Maybe she became afraid, thinking, there's not going to be enough food. It's not going to be good enough. Uh, It's going to be embarrassing to me and my family. So she became anxious out of fear for letting people down. Or she became anxious because she decided to try to impress everyone. This is her big moment. 100 to 200 people have showed up at her door, and it is her opportunity to show everyone the kind of hostess that Martha can be. So she pulls out all the stops and decides to put on a feast that everyone will remember for a very long time. 
But either way, whether she became anxious out of fear of failure or because she became anxious out of this pressure of trying to impress everyone, either way, Martha became focused on her own performance. She would be satisfied if she could just avoid failing, or she would be satisfied if she could impress everyone. But either way, she's looking for satisfaction in her own performance, and that brought problems. She became angry and rude. It was too much for her. She started, to fe- she started to fear that she was going to fail. She's back there in the kitchen. She's working uh, faster and faster. It says that she became distracted with much serving. Verse 41 says that she became more and more troubled. We know at some point she started to seethe inwardly, and all of it was directed at her sister. If only her sister would get back here and help her, it would be okay. And we know that's what happened because she couldn't contain it anymore. She burst out of the kitchen, went out in front of everyone. She could have been like, she could have she done something, but instead she just couldn't contain it. She burst out in front of everyone and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She doesn't even talk to Mary. She talks to Jesus about Mary. She publicly shames Mary. She, she just becomes so angry that she bursts out in this rude outburst. She became proud and judgmental. She was convinced that she was obviously doing the right thing. So convinced that she became puffed up with pride, thinking, this is the right thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this great thing. I'm going to be the best hostess Bethany's ever seen. Uh, so proud that she bursts out and gives a command to Jesus Christ. Tell her then to help me, Jesus. And she became judgmental. She, she knows what she's doing is obviously the best thing. She becomes disgusted with her sister for not coming to the same conclusion. And so she goes to uh, convince her sister in front of everyone that she needs to come around. Martha became filled with self-pity. She's slaving away back there in the kitchen, all alone. Verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? She felt neglected by people. She felt neglected by God. Everyone else is out there having fun with Jesus. And here I am back here in the kitchen, slaving away. Looking for satisfaction in our performance brings problems for us too. Like Martha, if we are looking for satisfaction in our performance, we become anxious. We become anxious because we need things to go well so that we'll be satisfied. Maybe things aren't going well for you at work. Maybe there are conflicts on your team or you're having um, trouble getting a project done in time. If you're looking for satisfaction in your performance, you'll become anxious. You will lay awake at night for hours. When you come home in the evening, you'll have a hard time leaving work at work. When we're looking for satisfaction in our performance, we become angry and rude. We become angry because we we become afraid that we might not be doing well. Someone implies that our kids are undisciplined or that our parenting isn't all that it should be. And so we start to think angry thoughts about them and their parenting. 
Um, or we become angry because we think that other people are getting in the way of our success. If only my coworkers would just do their job. When we're looking for satisfaction or performance, we become proud and judgmental. We become proud, for example, thinking about our families. We look at our spouse and all of, their, <clears throat> all of their accomplishments. We look at our kids and all of their accomplishments. We look at our house. We look at our life, and we feel good. We look around at other families where marriages may have discord or where kids are out of control or where things are not looking as good, and we feel judgmental. Somehow, other families like ours make it onto our social calendar on a regular basis, and other families that we think look rougher don't make it onto our social calendar at all. And in fact, we find ourselves talking about them. When we're looking for satisfaction in our performance, we become filled with self-pity. We become filled with self-pity because we think the pressure to perform is all on us. It's too much. No one understands. No one cares. We put in extra time at the office. We go on work travel. We see how it affects our spouse and our kids, and we think, don't they know that I'm doing this all for them? Looking for satisfaction in our own performance brings problems. Instead of looking for satisfaction in our performance, we need to find true, lasting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And I think we can do that, I think we can find real lasting satisfaction in Christ without changing our activity, without changing what we're doing. So, for example, imagine that you are in the checkout line at Target with your kids, and one of them starts throwing a temper tantrum. You may find yourself getting anxious, wondering, what are all these people going to think of my parenting? You may find yourself getting angry at your kids, thinking, just behave so that everyone will know that I'm a good parent. But I think that we can pause right there in the moment and think, hmm, I seem to be becoming anxious and angry. I wonder if I'm looking for satisfaction in my performance in some way. Yes, I am. I'm looking for satisfaction in my performance as a parent. And so then right there in the moment, I think we can go to Jesus to find real lasting satisfaction in him. If our faith is in Christ, then we are united to Christ. And John 15 says that our union with Christ is like the union between a vine and a branch. So if you're not satisfied in Christ in, a, in one particular moment, it's because you are not drawing life from the vine. And where you are right there in that moment, you need to start drawing life from the vine. I think we can do that by remembering all that Jesus is to us and all that he has done for us. We can remember, Jesus is with me in this moment. Jesus loves me in this moment. Jesus is in control of this moment. Jesus gives me the grace I need for this moment. Jesus gives me eternal life. This temper tantrum is going to look very small a million years into eternal life. Right there in the checkout line at Target or while we're being criticized or when we feel like we're failing at work or wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever we're facing, I think we can go to Jesus right then in our hearts and find real lasting satisfaction in him. And finding satisfaction in Christ brings power. In today's passage, Martha makes sense. This took place in a Middle Eastern culture 
where hospitality is a very high value, it makes sense that she would work hard to be hospitable to her guests. This is also a patriarchal society. So there's a famous rabbi of that time period who said, the words of the Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to women. So it makes sense that Martha, as a woman, would be slaving away in the kitchen uh, while all the men sat out front talking religion in that culture. Also, Martha had somewhere between 100 and 200 guests in her home. I think it makes sense in pretty much any culture to feel anxious or overwhelmed when you're trying to provide food for 100 to 200 people who are trampling all over your property and all over your house. So in today's passage, Martha makes sense. It's Mary who doesn't make sense. A crowd of people are in her home, and she is not running around, cleaning, preparing food, entertaining people. She just sits. It is a patriarchal society, and she doesn't follow the cultural expectation and go to the kitchen and prepare food for the men. Instead, she sits with the men to talk religion, to listen to what Jesus has to say. And her sister, Martha, comes out and publicly shames her in front of everyone, and it doesn't say that she burst into tears or, and ran out of the room. It doesn't say that she attacked her sister right back. It doesn't say that she put down her head and walked to the kitchen. It doesn't say that she did anything. It just implies that she kept sitting there listening to Jesus. So how did Mary have the power to resist the social pressure to go serve as a hostess? How did Mary have the power to act counterculturally by sitting to learn with the men? How did Mary have the power to endure an angry shaming by her sister in front of everyone and not react? Jesus tells us where Mary's power came from. In verse 42, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's with me. She found Jesus to be satisfying. And finding satisfaction in Christ brings power. Sorry, one second. <clears throat> this story about Mary and Martha is frequently applied to say that we should do less and rest more. Or it is applied to elevate the life of contemplation over the life of activity. And that line of thinking is what led to the monastic movement. According to that line of thinking, it would be better for all of us to quit our jobs, to move into a monastery or convent, to live as simply as possible, and to spend as much time as possible on worship, study, prayer, fasting, and meditation. But the context of this passage shows us that that is a mistake. Because in this, in this context, God has given us a lot to do. Luke 10, 1-24 is all about God's mission of word. So in that passage, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples in pairs to go into all the towns throughout the region to proclaim the kingdom of God. In verse 2 of Luke 10, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God 
has sent us out into the harvest to proclaim the good news of what Christ has done so that people can be reconciled to him. Luke 10, 25 to 37 is all about God's mission of deeds. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story about a man who interrupts his schedule, gets dirty, uh, risks his safety, spends time and money to care for the practical needs of someone he doesn't know and who is different from him culturally and racially. And then Jesus says in verse 37, you go and do likewise. In this passage, Martha herself is uh, an imperfect example of hospitality. Again, Romans 12, 13 commands us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to, sh- to seek to show hospitality. And we know that God has given us still more to do. Uh, he's called us to love and respect our spouses. Uh, He's called us to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's called us to do our jobs for his glory. He's called us to be good stewards of all that he's given us. He's called us to serve in the church, and he's given us still more to do. How will we have the power to do all that God is calling us to do? How will we have the power to do this ministry of word? It's hard. How will you have the power to engage in relationships with your non-Christian friends, neighbors, co-workers, and talk with them about Jesus Christ? How will you have the power to do God's ministry of deed? How will you have the power to serve people who are in real need right here in this community and around the world? How will you have the power to engage in hospitality, opening up your home but also your life to people who are like you, but also people who are not like you, people who are easy to love, people who are harder to love. How will we have the power to do all that God is calling us to do? The answer is not to disengage from all of it and to sit at home in our private monasteries. How will we have the power to do all that God is calling us to do and do it joyfully? How will we do all of this without becoming anxious, without giving in to anger, pride, judging other people, or giving in to self-pity. How will we have the power to do all that God is calling us to do? In verse 42, Jesus tells us, he tells us, you only need one thing. One thing is necessary. All you need is to find real, lasting satisfaction in Jesus Christ. So sit at his feet. Sitting at Jesus' feet means resting in him. I think a lot of people uh, try to relate to God the way Martha is trying to relate to Jesus in this passage. Running around, trying to serve him, trying to please him, at least trying not to displease him too much. But that will never work. Christianity teaches that relationship with God isn't based on what we do. It's not based on our performance. It's based on what Christ did for us. Jesus went to the cross to pay for all of our sins and failures. And right before he died from the cross, he said, it is finished. Instead of trying to perform for God, we can rest in Christ's performance for us. He paid it all. He did what was necessary to reconcile us to God. And so we can sit at his feet resting in what he did for us. Sitting at his feet means also learning from him. 
in this Jewish context, to sit at someone's feet, it's not a one-time thing. The Apostle Paul used this phrase to summarize his entire uh, religious uh, education. In Acts 22.3, Paul says, He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's a famous Jewish rabbi. So to sit at the feet of Jesus means to become one of his disciples, to be his student, to follow him, to learn from him. So sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. Rest in him. Stop trying to look to our performance to answer questions it was never meant to answer. Am I okay? Am I valuable? Am I acceptable? Do I matter? Instead of looking to our performance, bring these questions to Christ. He is the answer. He is the one who took our failures on himself at the cross and paid it all. And now God accepts us, not based on our performance, but based on Christ's performance for us. So let him show you where you are looking for satisfaction in your own performance. And let him show you instead how to find real, lasting satisfaction in him. So Jesus sees Martha come flying out of that kitchen. He sees her anxious, angry. He hears her attack. Tell Mary to get back here and help me. It is uncomfortable, it is ugly, it is painful, it is embarrassing. But Jesus does not attack back. He doesn't shame her or put her in in her place. He is gentle with her. He says, Martha, Martha. Whenever Jesus repeats a word like that, it always shows deep emotion. Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I love you. I'm here to save you. You're not interested. Or Luke 22, 31, at the Last Supper, Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. He knows that all of his disciples are about to desert him. And he says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. Simon, this is going to be a rough night, but I love you, Simon. And in this passage, Jesus looks at Martha, and I think, he look, you know, I know he's looking at me, I think he looks at us too, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are trying to find your satisfaction in your own performance, and it will never work. Martha, Martha, come and find real, lasting satisfaction in me. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would, I pray that we would come to you and find real, lasting satisfaction in you. I pray that we would not strive looking to our own performance for our satisfaction or for our answer to life's deepest questions, but I pray that we would look to you, the one who performed in our place, the one who went to, our, went to the cross to pay for our failures, to settle things between us and God so that we know that we can be accepted by you forever. Help us to rest in you. Help us to find real, lasting 
satisfaction in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.